You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. A swing and a long drive. Left center field. Way back to the track. To the ball. Grand slam. The Cardinals Hot Stove League Show is presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. Got it. A complete game. Five nothing shutout for Adam Wainwright. Now. Mike Claiborne and Chris Raby and the Cardinals Hot Stone League Show, presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. Good evening and welcome to another edition of the Cardinals Hot Stove League Show presented by Ameren. Chris Raby alongside my partner Mike Claiborne. Ben Boyd is our executive producer as we're back for another week. Klebs, how are you? It is winter warm-up weekend, caravan weekend, baseball writers weekend, and we are... A month and three days away from pitchers and catchers reporting on Valentine's Day. I am tickled pink about this week. Um, As you mentioned, all those reasons with all the events going on, and I don't care what the weather's going to do this week. Yeah, I don't either. It's just fun to see everybody. It's fun to start talking some baseball. And I know the players love it because for a lot of them, chance to meet their new teammates for a lot of fans, <laughs> a chance to reconnect with Cardinal favorites, see some of the prospects, and also see Dexter Fowler and Brett Cecil in town. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. And I think when they have a chance to see how this this situation works with all the events, I think they'll go away saying, wow, this was a good decision to come, come to St. Louis. Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about the Cubs with Dexter. The Cubs holding their convention the same weekend for the second year in a row. And, man, the outpouring just continues. I know folks both in Chicago, but obviously especially in St. Louis, so excited about what Fowler brings to the table. And such a cool event to get to see a guy like that be really a part of Cardinal Nation and a part of the organization aside from his press conference, Claves, for the first time in earnest over the next few days. Well, and he'll be part of it for as long as he's here. And I think it kind of gives the players a jump start, too. Excuse me. I know they've all been working out and trying to get themselves ready for spring training. But this comes a point where you actually see the people that are going to be rooting for you. It all benefits Cardinals care. So we hope to see you downtown for the winter warm-up over the next few days. We'll be going out on the caravans. Uh, Blows me away, Claves, as I know it does you. Everywhere we go, especially these stops on the caravans, how supportive and excited Cardinal Nation is and how far some of these folks come to get to talk a little baseball with us, maybe get an autograph and, uh, you know, just have a good time and get ready for the season start. That's true. And, you know, with the caravan, uh, having a chance to see so many people, uh, and you and I have talked about it before, you can be on a caravan with a young player that's maybe having a good season in AAA, and then all of a sudden he gets called up. Those fans have a chance to to meet that person and learn about them, and they'll follow him from that point on. Yes, we got a lot to get to on this edition of the program. We mentioned the Baseball Writers' Dinner, that 1967 team being honored. We will visit with the MVP, Baby Bull, Cha-Cha, Orlando Cepeda, coming up in Hour 2 of the program. Also, lefty Larry Jasser. He had the Dodgers number as well as anyone. We will visit with current Cardinal Carson Kelly, who will be heading out on a caravan this weekend. Rick Horton kicks things off for us in a moment, and... And 
We talk Hall of Fame with Richard Justice. I am excited for next week's reveal. There are some intriguing names on the ballot. There are a couple of guys who are on the ballot for the last time. There are some strong candidates on the ballot for the first time. So Richard Justice joins us to talk that as well. With all the Hall of Fame talk, don't forget to catch a game in Hall of Fame style. The new Red Jacket Club and all-inclusive area that commemorates the Cardinals' iconic Hall of Famers, an upscale buffet, full-service bar, tickets starting at just $75, and they're on sale now. Cardinals.com com slash red jacket club cardinals.com slash red jacket club lots to get to with mike claiborne i'm chris raby ben boyd our executive producer let's take our first break come back with ricky horton it's the cardinals hot stove league show presented by Ameren. glad to be with you for another week right here on the st louis cardinals radio network welcome back to the cardinals hot stove league show presented by Ameren. chris raby mike claiborne with you excited about everything going on this weekend including wine and whiskers join arf and tony la Russa at bush stadium for for an unforgettable evening at Wine and Whiskers, January 13th. That's Friday. A wine and food fundraiser at the Redbird Club. Reserve now at arflife.org. Well, Rick Horton helps us kick off the Cardinals Hot Stove League show presented by Ameren as we get ready for a big weekend of winter warm-up, the baseball writer's dinner, Cardinals caravans headed out all over Cardinal Nation. Rick, how are you, my man? I'm doing great. It, it starts right now, doesn't it, guys, with all the stuff you just mentioned, Rabe? I mean, it is jam-packed with uh, Cardinal stuff, and that means uh, not too many days before spring training starts. You know, it really does. And, and John Mozilloch was on KMOX over the weekend, and, and he was talking about how a lot of these teams, some of them, like the Pirates included, they do these conventions and events as early as the beginning of December. And I just well, love the, the Nationals did theirs the, the weekend of the winter, winter, uh, winter meeting. Yeah, and I, I just love the fact that we get through the holidays, we get through the new year, and we're a month away now by the end of this weekend from pitchers and catchers reporting, and it just feels a little more real. It feels a little more exciting, doesn't it? I, it does to me. I think there's almost a natural kind of way it fits in, too. You, you have your uh, national championship football game, college football game. That's over. Whew, you know, you game. still have some NFL, I, so, or so I hear, you still have some <laughs> NFL going on. But, but, but the point is, that's kind of done, and so that's done, and then baseball starts. It just, just seems a little more natural to me if you – you know, if you put the holidays in the middle of that, I think you get a little disconnect. And the way the Cardinals do it, everything flowing together, big weekend coming up, like you said, the caravan and the, the winter warm-up here is, is done like no other is, is the way, as far as uh, the current players, former players that participate in it. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just Cardinal fan mania is what it is. And uh, the baseball writers, there are only three of those left in all of the, uh, all of baseball now, Boston, New York, and St. Louis. But, you know, I think our event is pretty special. And I'm envious of you because you're going to be part of that roundtable interviewing those 67 champions. Oh, boy. What what, what a cool thing. That is so cool, man. I'm really happy for you. Well, you know, there's something, Clay, both you guys, about, you know, we all know, we all get the fact that, you know, we're around the game a lot. We're around a lot of, you know, big-time players and all that stuff. But there's something about the guys that played in your formative years that's different. And so, you know, I look back at teams in the in the 60s, and those are guys. I mean, those are names. I mean, I'm excited to meet. I haven't met Bobby Tolan, as an example. And, you know, they're guys that – but I sure know – I sure had his baseball card. Sure knew who mm-hmm. he was uh, yeah. growing up as a, as a young kid uh, loving the game of baseball. So – so that whole group of guys is really going to mesmerize me a little bit, and I, I can't wait for that opportunity. Well, it's going to be a hoot, and we've had a chance to talk to a few of them uh, as we've gotten closer to the warm-up. And I, I was visiting with Orlando Cepeda, and uh, what a delight he was. And, mm-hmm. you know, Ricky, you've been on, on some good teams where 
when when you're winning and you have enough guys who know how to have fun, uh, those are the memories you cherish 50 years later, I would assume. Well, there's no doubt about that. I mean, you know, and having fun, uh, you know, it's interesting. That's taken different forms over the years. When you talk to <laughs> That's guys true. in the 60s, having fun is not the same thing as guys today, and there's some reasons for that. But the point is there's a connection and camaraderie that's just, you know, really important. And, you know, as I've been looking at that 67 team, I've been, you know, boning up on them a little bit and remembering some things about them. You know, I checked out the lineups for all the games, the important games they had. Guess what? Same lineup every day. Every day, yes. It was a different deal, but it was, man, you could just count on those guys being in that spot. And I believe there was only 15 position players that had an at-bat in that 67. Mm -hmm. Think about that. 16, that's it. And and so, you know, you weren't using your 40-man roster the way uh, baseball does now. And that's not just the Cardinals doing that. Everybody does it. It's a different era. But the point is, you know, those guys were absolute heroes back in the 60s and certainly uh, did great things on the field, too. Why, why has that changed so much? And, and do you think that this year, with Dexter Fowler, especially at the top of the order, because the Cardinals have kind of searched for that and searched where to plug Matt Carpenter in, do you think we could see uh, maybe the Cardinals try to revert to a little bit more of a set lineup where you kind of know where guys are fitting in every day? Yeah, I think it's possible, but but I think one of the things working in the other direction is is you know all of the numbers that we have now and all of the studies and the sabermetrics, which I think has been you know by and large a really good thing for the game. I think it's helped us specialize in good ways. Uh, maybe it can be overdone, and we can all argue that point. But I think you know that's why you know I think it has changed. That really answers you know why is it not the way it was in the '60s? Well, you know the lefty righty thing, the, the also the reality of guys getting injured. You know how do we protect uh, the valuable assets we have and make sure that these guys are, are, are able to play, uh, you know, at, at their, at their top level for a, for a long, long career. I think, I think teams are a little bit skittish about, especially with pitchers, you know, about uh, using them too long. So they, uh, we certainly have entered this age of specialization. And, and again, we can argue whether that's good or bad or not, but, but I, I do think with Fowler, he's your, he's your leadoff guy. I don't, I don't see any question about that. And I think that, maybe takes the, the, the question away about where does Matt Carpenter fit, although um, the question now becomes is he two or is he three, I, I can make a case for both. You know, Ricky, um, looking at that 67 team, uh, they had the right manager in red. He he was so cerebral, and he just let guys play, which is why that great Sports Illustrated photograph uh, of those guys sitting next to their locker, uh, and if, any, if you've ever been around some of them, they'll just look at the photo and say those guys knew how to play. And they did know. They, they 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 didn't make a lot of mistakes. And in my opinion, and I've seen a lot of these teams, I think that was the most fundamentally sound Cardinal team I've ever seen play. Well, you had solid players uh, all on that. I mean, think about the the, the infielders of Maxville and Javier, and and just how good they were. You know, Julian Javier is a name that we don't talk about as much as we should, as mm-hmm. important as as he was to those teams uh, in the '60s and. Uh, she had a pretty good power year. I think it was in '68, actually. But 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 you know, solid solid uh, defenders and Kurt Flood in center. And you know, we can talk about McGee and and and, and Edmonds as we should, and other Cardinal defenders that were uh, Willie McGee terrific outfielders. But you know, Kurt Flood is the guy that everybody points to as as as, as the best of his time. And uh, it really was a, a a solid team. And and you mentioned Red Changes. Red, uh, you know, anybody who's ever been around Red knows that. The favorite his favorite thing to say and do is 
I just let them play. I mean, he says that all the time. And that, and you can only do that if the guys know how to play. Yeah. Rick Horton with us on the Cardinals Hot Stove League show presented by Amarin. Again, don't forget the baseball writers dinner Sunday at the Union Station Hotel in St. Louis. More information at stlouisbbwaa.com. Let's talk this year's club for a bit, Rick. And, and I'm wondering, thoughts on the World Baseball Classic. John Mozeliak had some um, comments about that as well and the fact that you do a pretty good job of managing workload of guys will also give some other guys opportunities in Cardinals camp who aren't participating to get some more innings under their belt. But a good thing for a guy like Alex Reyes and and Carlos Martinez to be a part of that Dominican uh, Republic club and and be around some of those guys and and pitch for that team? I think they've learned how to manage it better than when they first started doing it. I remember first couple of years, there were a couple of pitchers that were injured uh, a couple of pitchers that didn't quite know how to get ready for that, and then they're ready, ready for spring training, ready for the season. One pitcher for the Blue Jays whose name's escaping me, but you know, basically lost one of their guys and one of their starters. And it's like, you know, that I think I think the the, the concept has gotten clearer, and, and I think the positives of the concept, which I was slow to come to like, really, was the fact that you can have an elevated experience for a guy like Martinez and Reyes, and you know, you always look for something that gets them thinking big picture, thinking, wow, this is, you know, something that about my passion for the game that's going to maybe push me a little bit to be better. And, and I think you play for your country. Uh, you know, we've all loved the Olympics over the years and what that brings in terms of the heartstrings of, of athletes. And I think it, it, it's begun to do that for, for players. And for Reyes and the Martinez, I think it can be a positive thing as, as long as it's under control. Rick Horton, appreciate the time. I always enjoy kicking out the show with you and can't wait to see you this weekend. It'll be soon. You bet, guys. Good to be with you. The 2017 Cardinals calendar is celebrating the franchise's 125th anniversary on sale now throughout the metro St. Louis area, including Bush Stadium, Cardinals Clubhouse Mall Stores, QT, and area grocery stores, or call 345-9000. Richard Justice with us next in the Cardinals Sound Stove League show presented by Ameren. That's Mike Claiborne. I'm Chris Raby, and we're on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Welcome back to the Cardinals Hot Stove League show. Chris Raby and Mike Claiborne with you. Just getting started here in the 7 o'clock hour of the program. Don't forget the Baseball Writers Dinner Sunday at the Union Station Hotel here in St. Louis. Be there as the writers honor members of the 1967 World Series team and members of the 2016 team. Get more information at St. Louis BBWAA.com. Our pleasure to welcome member of the Baseball Writers Association to the program. Now we say hello to Richard Justice of MLB.com. How are you? Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year to you guys. Thank you for having me. It is Hall of Fame season around Major League Baseball. We get ready for the announcement next week. We've got your ballot here, and uh, we're talking about it. I want to ask you first, as Derek Gould, our buddy here in St. Louis, he ends his um, time as the president of the Baseball Writers Association, and I know that one of the big things that, that he pushed for and that he got accomplished was ballot transparency. What's your take on how that's going to affect things moving forward? Oh, I, I don't know if it's going to affect things, but I think it's a good thing. And I think, you know, you should be able to – It's you know, it's a, this is a public business. And I think, you're, you know, that we should have our ballots out there. I agree also one of the things Derek wanted was not to make the ballots public until seven days after the announcement. In other words, don't make yourself the story – on the day of the Hall of Fame announcement. That day goes to the Hall of Famers, but certainly have all the ballots out there at some point. And I think because of this website uh, that Ryan Thibodeau runs, people like me, we just put our ballots out there. So, yeah, I'm for as much transparency as possible. And if you have to defend your selections, 
go ahead. You should be able to defend them. There's a reason that you voted the way you did. Good. I'm glad you said that because I've got a couple of people I want to ask you about. And right. uh, one of which is uh, Billy Wagner and the other one is uh, Trevor Hoffman. Uh, yeah. Two very good accomplished relief pitchers. But how is it that a guy in Lee Smith, and, I'm a, and I firmly admit to everyone I'm a big Lee Smith supporter, a guy with 478 saves who pitched in, pitched in an era where he just wasn't a one-inning guy, uh, continues to find himself not on this Hall of Fame ballot as far as uh, getting enough folks. Uh, it's ridiculous. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, uh, I was covering the Orioles, and they were facing him in spring training, and Jim Dwyer, who had faced him in the National League, gave his teammates a scouting report on Lee Smith, and this was a scouting report. Everything he throws is a fastball. He does throw one pitch that's not a fastball, but don't worry about that one because you can't hit it either. Um, (laughs) Here's my answer on that, is that um, the bigger picture is we have two new positions to deal with, closer and designated hitter. And Jason Starks made the point, and ESPN's made the point, like if they're part of the Hall, if they're part of baseball now, closers and DHs, then the best of the best should be in the Hall of Fame. I agree with you. There were three closers. If you're going to vote for Trevor Hoffman, 631 saves, pitched in over 1,000 games, then I say you have to line them up with Billy Wagner and Lee Smith. Billy Wagner's numbers arguably are a little bit better than Trevor Hoffman's, although Trevor has the save totals, and his are a little bit better than Lee Smith. My issue was I found probably, I'm going to ballpark in 15 or 16 Hall of Famers, and it was finding 10. And Lee didn't, I have voted for Lee in the past. I believe Lee Smith is a Hall of Famer. Uh, I couldn't get him on my ballot, and I didn't know who to drop. Well, at some point, Richard, there are guys on this ballot that should be in already, right? Like Jeff Bagwell well, should probably be in. Barry yeah. Bonds and Roger Clemens, I know the PED stuff, but numbers alone, those guys should be in, and those are guys that you need to use spaces on your ballot for now that take away from other guys. Yes, there's a huge backlog. and Or a front I log. That, yeah, uh, yes, a backlog of candidates. And, there's a, and there are statistical numbers to back that up, that this generation of players is dramatically underrepresented in the Hall of Fame. And, I mean, I've seen some some writing on on the numbers. It's just ridiculous. And, you know, even, look, I understand there are people who believe in a small hall and there are people that believe in a big hall. And I know there are guys that say, okay, Bob Gibson, Willie Mays, Tom Seaver, those are my of standard bearers. Well, I would say that your standard's too high. I mean, those are the best of the best of the best. You know, I like the guys, there's never been a unanimous candidate. Like Tom Seaver wasn't unanimous. I just want to say that people didn't vote for Seaver, they didn't vote for King Griffey Jr. I don't know what your standard for Hall of Famer is, but you might want to revisit it. So that is a problem every year. You go in there and you know 16 guys should be in. How do you pick 10 to put on it? Last year, I didn't vote for Bonds and Clemens because I knew they weren't going to get in, and I just felt like I was worried that guys like Mucina and Schilling, who they're interesting cases. To me, they're slam-dunk Hall of Famers. But they pitched in an era when they didn't pitch in 1968. The ballparks got smaller. The strike zone got smaller. The players got bigger. Um, the, the, the bats got harder. Some would say the baseballs got harder. That was a point of discussion. So you have to consider them in the context of their time and of their time, of their generation, they were the best of the best. How have we seen uh, folks change? And, and you have, as you said, 
both voted for and not voted for Bonds and Clemens. You did vote for them in 2015. Uh, before last year, it was a numbers issue. Are are you seeing and, and talking to more of your peers? Has anyone's opinion changed of those guys as much as just the numbers have changed in terms of how they've been treated on ballots? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. You know, here's the way I look at it. When you get the Hall of Fame ballot in your hand, you, the steroid, steroids were part of the game, okay? And, and you don't know who used and who didn't. So are you going to punish the guys who got caught and uh, reward the guys who got away with it? To me, it gets way too complicated. And the other part of Bonds and Clemens, look at Barry's first 14 seasons before he got added all that muscle. He was a Hall of Famer at that point. He had a 103.4 war. Now, you may not buy the, the number wins above replacement, but it's a good contextual thing. He had the 28th best war of all time after those <laughs> first 14 seasons, better than Yastrzemski, better than Clemente, better than Ripken. His 968 OPS, 14th best all time. He had, at that point, 445 home runs, three MVPs, and he was top five MVP seven times in eight all-star games. That's, that's a, that's a slam-dunk Hall of Famer. The other one is Clemens. Same exact thing. Just say, before he did whatever he's alleged to have done, 13 seasons with the Red Sox. He, uh, 306 ERA, three Cy Youngs, an MVP, and an 81.3 war. That's pretty much what Tom Glavin had. That's above Joe DiMaggio, Robin Yount, Paul Molitor, Rod Carew. This is, to me, that defined greatness. And also, Clemens is interesting for me in that I, I got to know him in the second half of his career. By the time he got to Houston, Cardinals fans saw him a lot. He was a perfect ambassador for the game. The stuff he did for kids when he was on minor, head, minor league rehab assignments, the teammates knew he was a guy. If, he, if they were in trouble in the middle of the night, he would come, no questions asked. There was a kid here in Houston that got paralyzed. This, uh, he was a, a draft pick, an Astros draft pick. Paralyzed, career over. The scout that signed him wanted to get the kid a van. First phone call to Roger Clemens. He said, I knew Roger would either go get, would either buy the van himself or know where to go to raise money to get the van, no other no organization. And my point is not to defend whatever he did. It's cheating. There's a drug dealer involved. There's lots of stuff uh, involved. But I would say this, that you put, when you, uh, I would say that, that people, there's a gray area with every human being. And there was much, there was much about Roger to, to be admired. And, and I would say this on Barry. You know, the, the thing is, Barry woke up for about three straight years not knowing is this the day the guys with the windbreakers and the handcuffs come to my front door? That's a hell of a way to live. You know, I mean, when the, to me the government uh, investigates you for two years, going on three, they either have it or they don't. That's that's almost a borderline witch hunt. And I saw him. I, I can't say I know Barry well. We, we've dealt with each other a time or two. You could almost see that the guy aged in, in, in a couple of those last seasons, and you're thinking, like, what, you know, whatever you think of the guy, this is not fair. So, you know, I, it's a complicated thing when they get – they're both on track now to get in the Hall of Fame, and there's going to be all kinds of gnashing of teeth. But you ask any player, ask any player of any generation, if you had, if you had had to make the ethical, moral decisions that these two guys made – what would you have done? So before you judge them, what would you have done? And in terms of the greatest players of all time, there is no question with or without steroids, they are on that list. Richard Justice is with us from MLB.com. And, Richard, one of the interesting things about this process 
Uh, most who covered Barry Bonds, and in some cases Roger Clemens, but more Bonds found him to be maybe one of the most unfriendly people ever to try and talk to. And, and I'm glad to hear that there is a momentum to try and take that and put it to the side because this is still about judging a person's performance on the field, no matter how bad of a person he might be as an individual. And my friend Eddie Murray always thought that he cost him not dealing with the media. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, probably cost him MVP awards, and I was so scared that Eddie wasn't going to get into the Hall of Fame on his on his first try. That it was just it just per- terrified me. But I do think, I look, I, I'm naive about this stuff. I do think uh, that we we can set aside whatever personal relationship we had with a guy. And everybody covered the Orioles. You can ask any guy that covered the Orioles, Peter Pascarelli, Dan Shaughnessy. Uh, Eddie was a leader. Now, like, and he, he was, he did, all the, I think the media liked Eddie, but if you want to get out your pencil and paper and quote him, he wasn't, he wasn't about that. In fact, Sport Magazine did a long story on him one time, and I said, see, how about that story? So it was a guy named Taylor Branch who wrote, won a Pulitzer Prize for his three-volume set on Martin Luther King biography. <laughs> and I said, what about that story? You can't say the press was out to get you there. And he goes, oh, I hated that story. I said, what? He goes, it was Murray this, Murray that, Murray this. And I go, yeah, that, that was sort of the point of the story. And there is that, that feeling that, like, he, he was just not the guy that wanted to be the center of attention. You saw it in 98 with Mark McGuire and the Cardinals. Like, Mark wanted to be part of the team. Well, when you're on your way to hit 70 home runs, you ain't going to be part of the team. You're going to be different and treated different. And that's hard for some guys to deal with when they're raised to play within the confines of the team. Yeah, I hope we can separate personal from on the field, but well, I do well, know that Kurt Schilling God. is not doing himself any favors no, with no. Uh, what he does on Twitter. Yeah, look, I've known the guy since his first day in the big leagues. I, I barely recognize the guy he's become with these inflammatory things he says. At the end of the day, though, I'm going to vote for what he did, yeah. the kind of player he was. You know, I think one of his teammates in Arizona, <laughs> I said to him, you like him? He goes, every fifth day, I love the guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I mean, like, Schilling was one of the great postseason pitchers of all time. Oh, yeah. And in the case of both Schilling and Mucina, it's not, I mean, the people that don't vote for them, to me, are so far off. They are the gold standard of the gener- this generation of pitchers. Richard Justice, MLB.com, and again, one of the guys who's put their ballots out there and can't wait to see how this shakes out with some of the first-timers. Um, can't wait to see how, how Manny Ramirez, uh, how his votes uh, change over the next few years with, with everything that we just discussed. Richard, appreciate the time. Always a pleasure. Enjoy reading you on MLB.com, and we'll talk again soon. Okay, thank you for having me. Catch a game in a Hall of Fame style. Fitting that we were just talking about the Hall of Fame and the new Red Jacket Club. This new all-inclusive area is designed to commemorate the Cardinals' iconic Hall of Famers. Features an upscale buffet, full-service bar. Tickets start at just 75 bucks. On sale now at cardinals.com slash Club. Carson Kelly with us next. The Cardinals Hot Stove League Show presented by Ameren and the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network.
Back on the Cardinals Hot Stove League Show presented by Ameren. Chris Rabby with you on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. We'll see our next guest at Winter Warm-Up this weekend, Saturday through Monday. Admission passes still available at cardinals.com slash winter warm-up. They're going quickly. Still time, though, to order your passes. And with that, we turn it over to Mike Claiborne. Carson Kelly had a pretty good season last year, and he took it into the fall where he had an outstanding Arizona Fall League season. Well, Carson, have you had a chance to catch your breath since everything unfolded for you last year? Uh, just a little bit. You know, it's been uh, it's been a busy off season for me with uh, the Fall League and then uh, with the career development, rookie career development out here in uh, Washington, D.C. Um, and, you know, you got the, the caravan. And then pretty soon, you know, you're going to end up in Florida. Talk a little bit about the career development program. Uh, the rookie career development program was was a really good program for me because we got to, to listen to, you know, uh, some Hall of Famers, guys that have played the game and, you know, had experiences that that, that can relate to us as, as rookies or guys that are coming up and taking what they had to say or what they had to say and, and putting that and comparing that to my own, you know, career. And that's just a great thing to have because going in, now you know what to expect when you get there. For you being such a young man and it's got some pro experience under your belt now, how have you been able to try and absorb all of this at such a young age and be able to continue to work to be better for the next year? Taking it day by day, and I don't know if you've heard, but my my little black book that I (laughs) I carry around. (laughs) It's got to be pretty full by now. Oh, of course. You know, it's been uh, every day there's always something to write in there just from – from learning from my own my own experiences, but also stuff that I read and, and and think that's going to help me in my career. So, just taking it day by day, and you know, being in each moment that that's something that uh, that I've really really tried hard to to work on, and you know, and that and that's that's what's made me the the person I am today. Well, I know you have your black book. Uh, you're you're a guy that in my dealings with you, you're very attentive to what's going on around you. But it seems like you take it one step further because you're not afraid to ask questions because a lot of times we'll see kids that will sit there and take it all in and maybe assume the wrong thing. But in your case, you're not afraid to ask if you're not sure. Right, exactly. And, and, and that's just being a student. And, and taking, taking all that information in it is one, one great thing. But at the same time, if you're, if you're unclear or if you want to take it that next step, you need to speak up and voice a question because – that way, because somebody else in the in the room is going to be thinking the same thing. So, if you can ask that question, maybe they might it might answer somebody else's, and then you can relay and and, and bounce off opinions and, and thoughts. And that's something that that I really really take to heart. You had a lot of baseball on your brain here in the last twelve to eighteen months. When do you have a chance to wind down? And what are some of the other interests you have other than baseball? Well, I took some time off after the fall league to just kind of relax, take a nap. I don't know, something <laughs> like that. But didn't um, it go from one field to the other, any of that sort of stuff. You actually just took a break, huh? Exactly. Yeah, I, I took some time off. You know, two weeks or so, just to kind of become a normal person again, and and then uh, started started get back into it with uh, the workouts and. Right now we're in the swing of things, and it's gone so quickly that it's hard to take some time off. But when I can, I try to get away. I like to read a lot. I like to to play some video games here and there. But I think reading and and expanding my my knowledge, something else, 
uh, other than baseball is is really helpful for me. You have a favorite author at this point, or are you just still reaching out to see things that just uh, intrigue you about the title? Yeah, I think it's more more seeing the title, and, and I, I have a couple buddies back home that like to read as well, so we kind of bounce uh, some topics off each other, and and it, it could be with life, it could be with business, it could be with, I mean, sometimes baseball, but um, most of it, most of the categories vary just to just to kind of acknowledge, or acknowledge different parts of our 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 knowledge, our <laughs> acknowledge a couple different parts of, of our lives rather than just what we do on the field. We're visiting with Carson Kelly, and Carson, for you as a player, when you're drafted out of high school as an infielder, and then you're converted to a catching position. How has the adjustment been for you? Because when they come to you and they tell you, hey, we want to make a catcher out of you, you have to learn everything from how to just stoop down and be comfortable. And then you graduate to the level of being able to call a game. How, how do you feel now as far as your progress is concerned? Because calling a game uh, from where I sit has got to be a real challenge for a guy who's never done it before. That's, that's probably the, the hardest thing is, is being able to take all the information from scouting reports and, in previous previous games and and putting that into calling a game. That said, you also have to have all the skills to to, to be able to squat for a couple hours and and uh, block, throw, see, kind of see everything on the field. So there's a lot that goes into it. But at this point, you know, it's the uh, it's the the game calling and being able to to read your pitchers and the infielders and, and know, know what, know what to say at the right time uh, in a mound visit or in the dugout. And that's part of the leadership. And, and that's something I've really tried to take, take, take to heart because being a leader is something that you really need to have as a catcher. Have you always been somewhat of a leader in your short span of sports? I have, I have, I, I, when I was younger, I was always about going about my way, uh, going about my business in the right way and showing up early and working hard. And now it's starting to graduate into my voice. And, and that's something I wasn't, I was a little nervous and a little timid when I was younger because I didn't want to say the wrong thing or, or, or offend, offend somebody that I, I had no intention to. But now at this point, I, I understand what, what I need to do as uh, physically and, 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 how to go about my business and, and now it's just taking that next step on how I can reach out to other teammates and other people and bring that along the lines of how I handle everything. And, and you know, that's got to be a big jump. Uh, when you're playing third base, you're over there kind of minding your own business and just wait for them to hit something to you. But when you go behind the plate, you got to be familiar with everybody on the staff. And as you touched on earlier, uh, everybody's a little different in how you can approach them about certain things. Uh, which means you almost have to be a therapist in some cases because you just don't know how guys are thinking. They may have an issue they bring to the ballpark with them, but if you don't know their inner self, it's going to be hard for you to be able to communicate when the games are on the line. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And being able to to reach out and understand more of the more than just the player, their their personal life, and 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 being able to to be there as a teammate and you know, help on the field, but also be a friend off the field. That, that's a big thing that I, I, I take to heart. And, and I want to keep developing those skills and, and being that friend 
as well as a teammate. For, for you, um, as I said earlier, this was kind of a whirlwind year for you, last 18 months. Uh, what's the one bit of advice that you got when you got to the big leagues that you've been able to build on? And what was the most crowning moment for you aside from getting the call and saying you're going to the big leagues? I would say the biggest thing is it's the same game. You go from AAA, AA, every every level you jump up, it's still the same game. It's just everybody's a little faster, everybody's a little smarter. Um, especially when you get to the big leagues, the, you have a lot to do with the media and and the travel and all the fans and having having to deal with all that is could be considered a distraction, but I don't think it is because you embrace that and, and you take that to heart and, and learn from it. But I think the, the, that would be the biggest thing. And then getting called up, my, my parents were there with me and they got to go see me in, the, in my debut and, and having them there, it was, it was really a special moment because of all the hard work, all the sacrifices my mom had to make for driving us to different places. My dad uh, just giving us this opportunity to play the game, and and then my brother for you know just pushing me to be better every single day. Those that, that was a big big moment for me. Well, not only can you see Carson and his teammates at winter warm-up this weekend, you can also see them in Jupiter. Make your plans to head south this winter for sunny skies, warm beaches, and Cardinals baseball. Packages are available to fit everyone's schedule and budget. Make your reservations at cardinals.com slash vacations or call 1-800-892-7687. Back to wrap up our number one of the show on the Cardinals Hot Stove League Show, presented by Ameren and the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Wrapping up our number one of the Cardinals Hot Stove League Show, presented by Ameren, Chris Ray along with Mike Claiborne on the St. Louis Cardinals radio network. Cardinals calendars, the 2017 calendar, celebrates the franchise's 125th anniversary and is on sale now throughout the St. Louis metro area, including Bush Stadium, Cardinals Clubhouse Mall Stores, QT, and area grocery stores, or by calling 314-345-9000. You can also get one right now by being caller number three at 314-969-1120. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk the 1967 team with some great highlights. Also, Larry Jaster and Orlando Cepeda join us. It's the Cardinals Hot Stove League show presented by Ameren. Ben Boyd's our executive producer along with Mike Claiborne. I'm Chris Raby. Back after this in the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. A swing and a long drive. Left center field. Way back to the track. To the ball. Grand slam. The Cardinals Hot Stove League show is presented by Ameren on the Cardinals Radio Network. Got it. A complete game, 5 nothing shutout for Adam Wainwright. Now, Mike Claiborne and Chris Raby and the Cardinals Hot Stove League Show, presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. Hour number two of the Cardinals Hot Stove League Show, presented by Amron. Chris Raby alongside Mike Claiborne catch a game in Hall of Fame style at the new Red Jacket Club. This new all-inclusive area is designed to commemorate the Cardinals' iconic Hall of Famers and features an upscale buffet and full-service bar. Tickets start at just 75 bucks on sale now at cardinals.com slash Club. You could call that 1967 team a Red Jacket Club, Mike Claiborne. You sure can. And when you look at the names on that list of players that were on that team, uh, I think there'd be a whole lot of Red Jacket guys over there as far as what they were able to do. Not only on that team as far as being a world champion, but getting back the following year. But just, Chris, when you look back on them now 
and you say to yourself, what a good group of people they were. That's why we're so excited to see them on Sunday. We thought it would be fun, before we talk to Larry Jaster in our next segment, to take a trip down memory lane and listen and then revisit some of the great moments of that 1967 year. And what a way to start. Lou Brock, April 16th, opening things up. He got the first hit. Will he drive in the first run? There's the stretch. And the pitch on the way. There she goes! Way back! It might be! It could be! It is! A home run! Holy cow! Holy cow indeed. Lou Brock off Juan Marichal, the opener. Three-run home run. What a call there by Harry Carey. Well, Lou Brock was a guy that we always think about being a base dealer, but he had power. I mean, he could. I think if Lou Brock was in a different position, he probably could hit 25 to 28 home runs a year. Uh, just seems incredibly strong. But, you know, hitting them off of Marischal, uh, that's never an easy task. Well, we go to another three run home run. We've talked so much about the addition of this next player and what he meant to the Cardinals. Two balls, two strikes on Roger Maris. Here's the pitch. There she goes, right back. It might be. It could be. Holy cow, a dramatic win over the Dodgers in 11 innings. Roger Maris. Wasn't the home run player that he was in New York because he had a hand injury, but, you know, he could still get a hold of one. He was just such a fundamentally sound player that he was the final piece to that, that whole equation for the Cardinals when they won in 67. How about some defense? Line drive in the center field, throw down the run. Makes the catch, and he's going to get a double play. Holy cow! He saved the ball game. He stepped on the bag for the double play. Kurt Flood came tearing in. A sure single to center. And turned it into an unassisted double play. Holy cow, what a play to end the game on. Yeah, not just the defensive prowess in center field, but Kurt Flood hit 335 that oh, year. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, first of all, he was one of the smartest players you ever had a chance to watch. But it seemed to be a theme on this team, yeah, man. Yeah, exactly. You know, we always hear about the fact that these guys knew how to play. But Kurt Flood was a guy that didn't have a great throwing arm, so he put himself in position to be able to make plays. And at one point when his arm was really starting to bark, uh, they had a play set up where on the cutoff, Julian Javier, who had an incredible throwing arm for a second baseman, would go out in the short right field and take the throws. We'll visit with this Cardinals star and... This year's MVP. There's a stretch. No pet. Byline right up the middle. Here comes the winning run. Cepeda delivers. The Cardinals win at 6 to 5. Cepeda's third hit of the game. And they're mobbing him. Orlando came through. They're all jumping all over him. Don't spike him, boys. He's a franchise. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> what a call. 1967 MVP. What to you, Klaibs? And again, we'll visit with Orlando this hour. What to you was the most impressive part uh, of what Orlando Cepeda brought to the table? The guy could hit. He could flat out hit. And, you know, when you look at his record, he, everywhere he was, even in the minor leagues, he could always swing the bat. And when you look at the lineup that the Cardinals had, there was always going to be somebody on base in front of him, so he was an RBI machine. And then when teams thought they could pitch around him, guys behind him, be it McCarver or Shannon, made them pay even more. 
So after a while, you said, we'll take our chances with him. But he could hit, and he had incredible passion. And, and another guy who arrived at the right time in his career because in San Francisco, he and Alvin Dark didn't get along. And when they traded him to St. Louis, he played for the right manager in Red Shandings, and the players accepted him overwhelmingly. So it was a good fit for everyone. Let's head to October and the World Series. The pitch. Swung on. A long drive deep left center. Way back. is Might be out of here. It could be. And it is a home run for Bob Gibson. And boy, that was at the 379-foot mark up against a battery of cameras that are placed up there. Bob Gibson joins the list of pitchers who have hit home runs in World Series competition. And the score is now three to nothing. I believe the only home run of the year for Bob, who had a handful of them in his career, but if you're going to do it in 1967, why not? Why not? In Game 7 <laughs> of the World Series, up over the Green Monster. He he was such a good athlete, and his timing was impeccable. But even though you know he only hit the one home run that year, you know remember he was out part of the year with a broken leg. He was a guy that could put the ball in play. I mean, he could lay down bunts. He could do a lot of things, and he was a pretty good runner. So you had to respect the speed going down the line. All right, let's stay game seven. Let's stay in Boston for our final trip back to 1967. Lombor at the belt, the pitch. There's a long drive way back. It might be out of here. It could be. It is a home run. Tavier hits one off the screen in left field, and the Cardinals now lead 7-1. to one. Javier homers. A high-towering drive that hit the screen atop the green monster. And there's Javier's ninth hit in this series. Hooli Hooli is what they would call him, and he would wear glasses. But there are two things that stood out, or three things. A, he had an incredible throwing arm for a second baseman. B, I've never seen a player in all the times I've been watching baseball to be able to go into the outfield with his back to the infield and make that over-the-shoulder catch. Yeah, wow. And he was a, a very tough out to be in the lower part of the batting order. Um, just a really good, and we talk about it again, great fundamentally sound player that could do a lot of things. Man, when he would turn that double play, he'd come, he'd come either sidearm or underhand and make sure nobody was going to take him out. Uh, just a really fun player to watch that we don't see a lot of. Uh, he was kind of a quiet guy, but, man, what an important player he was in 67. We almost saw Jake Allen make that catch in short right field at the Winter Classic against the Blackhawks a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> That's Mike Claiborne. I'm Chris Raby. A couple of members of that 1967 team going to be with us. Larry Jaster next, Orlando Cepeda later this hour as we continue to Winter talk field, Cardinals huh? and continue That's good. to talk Cardinals baseball. Do want to uh, remind you to visit the official online shop at the Cardinals at cardinals.com slash shop for the largest selection of authentic caps, T-shirts, jerseys, hoodies, collectibles, and more. Get your gear straight from the source, cardinals.com slash shop. Larry Jaster next in the Cardinals Hot Stove League Show, presented by Ameren and the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Welcome back to the Cardinals Hot Stove League Show, presented by Ameren, Chris Raby, alongside Mike Claiborne, going to chat with Larry Jaster here in a moment, one of the great members of the pitching staff of that 1967 team that's going to be honored 
at the Baseball Writers' Dinner on Sunday night. Before we do that, don't forget, join Arf and Tony La Russa at Bush Stadium for an unforgettable evening at Wine & Whiskers on January 13th, a wine and food fundraiser at the Redbird Club. Reserve now at rflife.org. As promised, a pleasure to welcome Larry Jaster to the program. Of course, a member of that 1967 World Championship team got Rookie of the Year votes in 1966. A left-handed pitcher who we can't wait to see on Sunday night. Larry, how are you, man? Thank you for joining us in the Cardinals Hot Stove League show. Yeah, I'm doing fine, Chris. How are you? We're doing well. Hey, Larry, uh, we're honoring, obviously, the 67 team. And everybody remembers Bob Gibson, but I always felt guys like you and Dick Hughes, who who had some really big games for that team in '67, probably didn't get as much notoriety. But boy, I tell you, you ask any of the other 24 players on the team, they'll tell you they couldn't win without your contribution. Everybody's trying to keep up with Bob and and do their share in the pitching department. Yeah, and there were three or four guys. That won, you know, 10 or 11 games. Dick won 16 games that one year and then ended up with an arm injury. But, yeah, I think the whole key was uh, the second secondary pitchers that were just there a short time that end up winning their share of games. We always remember the, the mojo you had on the Dodgers. I mean, uh, they were always a good ball club, but Larry Jaster just had something going. What was the key in your success against the Dodgers at that time? I look back on it now, and it even looks more amazing to me that that, that happened. But I, I think mainly I didn't walk people. They had good speed. I kept the speed off the bases. And, of course, our defense, uh, those three things. Uh, I threw a lot of strikes, and that, that's what you need to do. Larry, what was it like to be in the clubhouse and – the off-the-field time with the members of that team. I know uh, most of us are excited this weekend just about the storytelling that's going to take place. It was a close-knit group is what I remember about that group. You know, whether we were on the road or at home, there was a lot of team functions, and, and I would say half of the team members were always at those functions, if not more, with their wives, families whatever, but I just remember that that group was a close-knit group and uh, have a lot of good friends And during that time, and a lot of them I've kept in touch with uh, that I can keep in touch with, I, I do uh, periodically. Larry, uh, I was telling Chris earlier that I was willing to wage a part of his paycheck on the fact that you were once on a TV game show. I, I was on TV, but it wasn't on a game show. It, it was on Ed Sullivan's show. Oh, okay. After, after the five shutouts, they <laughs> they flew me in, and all I did was sit in the audience. <laughs> and at the end of the show, he introduced me for the five shutouts. I, I stood up and took a bow, and uh, that was it, huh? And they handed me a thousand dollars. And that time, that was a lot of money. Wow! I need to find that show. It's just via the <laughs> audience. I guess you got to do something though. So I guess, I guess that means something. So, but so it was a fun time for you. I, I guess. I mean, obviously, uh, you you're recognized because you beat a well-known team in the Dodgers. You're on a World Championship team. Uh, when did you actually have a chance to sit down and take it all in and just absorb what was going on in Larry Jaster's young life? Well, I, I think after I got out of baseball, I started working for the Braves and. Uh, and they had quite a pitching staff, and I had a lot of them in the minor leagues, the Glavins, the Averys, and 
during that time, they, they'd be pitching some shutouts, and every time there'd be two or three, four shutouts in a row, that, that my name would come up all of a sudden. And here I'm coaching those guys. So that that was a, a good feeling for me to look back. But, uh, you know, as the years go on, it's more and more I look back and say, pretty amazing thing, you know. And I, I think the other thing about those shutouts were I only gave up 24 singles during that time. That that was kind of the most amazing thing to me. We're visiting with Larry Jaster, former Cardinal and World Series champion. Larry, uh, we always ask the question about you. You mentioned the the, the closeness of your ball club in '67. Uh, two things: Red Shandings, his impact on your career, and also who was the guy that you look forward to getting to the ballpark and seeing what he could do next to make you laugh. To make me laugh? Yeah. Well, first I'll get about Red. Red. Red pretty much uh, would let us play until somebody stepped over the line as far as the rules, and then he would let you know, hey, you, you stepped over the line, and he'd let you have it. But as, as far as the club comedian, and, and he's not here anymore, was, was Joe Horner, who was uh, my roommate when I was in St. Louis. He was uh, killed in a tractor accident a few years ago, but he was the guy... He never knew what he was going to do next. Were you on the bus that day? Yeah, I was on the bus that day. Uh, most of the people jumped off, <laughs> but I was one of the ones that stayed on. And, uh, there's another story about Joe at the airport when security wasn't so tight. He got behind uh, the baggage claim area somehow, and when our bags came up over the chute, Joe was on one of the suitcases riding down to the area where we picked up our bags. So he, he was quite the character, and I really do miss him. And there's a story about Joe in a bar, uh, surprisingly, where there was a big brawl that broke out, and it kind of spilled over to him. And all of a sudden, all these guys are laying out on the parking lot, and, you know, everybody's shirt is torn off, and they're all bloodied up. And Joe walks back outside, half of his shirt on, and says, which one of you guys is the bartender? And he said, the guy raises his head. He said, you can come back in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounds like Joe, and it also sounds like Gibby and, and one of the bras we had with Cincinnati and Tony Perez. Uh, uh, that was the same way when Gibby was on the mound. He, these Perez kind of confronted him with the high and end inside pitch on his way back after popping up. And he and Gibby got into it. And all I remember is people flying off that mound and Gibson on top of the mound say, okay, which one's next? Well, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to Orlando Cepeda about that particular brawl and Bob Lee looking for Cha-Cha, and, and his, Orlando said, he found me. <laughs> and I'm sure you remember how that turned out. Yeah. Yeah, he was, Bob Lee was a crazy person. Well, he didn't get he didn't get crazy after his meeting with Cepeda, which is uh, one of the great things about the game. Larry, how much do you appreciate that era that you played in? And it's not to begrudge the players of today, but when you look back, do you think they had as much fun as you guys did? No, we had a lot of fun. We we played hard and had a lot of fun. And uh, I think that was the big difference. Of course, the salaries weren't as high, but the teams were closer, I think, then. And, uh, and I think our friendships were closer then. So uh, that, that's what you really miss about the game when you're out of it, the different friendships that you had uh, when you played. Well, can't wait for the Baseball Writers Dinner on Monday, that 1967 team honored. And as long as they all make it back uh, out onto the stage from their own time behind stage, we look forward to the storytelling that's going to take place at Union Station 
Hotel. Larry, thank you so much. Appreciate the time. It was a pleasure chatting. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Thank you to Larry Jaster. It'll be great, Mike, to see him and so many members of the 1967 team on Sunday. The 2017 Cardinals calendar, it celebrates the franchise's 125th anniversary and is on sale now throughout the St. Louis metro area, including Bush Stadium, Cardinals Clubhouse, Mall Stores, QT, and area grocery stores, or by calling 314-345-9000. We'll take a break. Come back. Another member of the 67 team. It'll be great to hear from Orlando Cepeda next on the Cardinals Hot Stove League Show presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Welcome back to the Cardinals Hot Stove League Show presented by Ameren. Chris Raby alongside Mike Claiborne on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Can't wait for the 59th Annual Baseball Writers Dinner Sunday at the Union Station Hotel here in St. Louis. Be there as the baseball writers honor members of the 1967 World Series champion Cardinals, including our next guest, as well as Carlos Martinez, other members of last year's club and more. You can get more information at stlouisbbwaa.com. And with that, let's hand it back over to Mike Claiborne. Orlando, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Well, Orlando, let's talk a little bit about your situation. Um, we're honoring the 50th anniversary of the Cardinals 1967 team that you were a huge part of. You were the most valuable player. Tell me a little bit about how that whole thing came about because you were traded in 66 to St. Louis, when did it all come together for you? You know, I was very sad when they trained me into St. Louis. But as soon as I get there that Sunday afternoon, Tim McCarver, Bob Gibson, Lou Brock, Kerr Flood, Julian Javier, Mike Shannon, they make me feel wanted. They make me feel like home. And they make it they made it so easy for me, you know, because, like I say, from the beginning, I was sad, you know, because I grew up with the Giants organization and then going to another place. But from the beginning, they really helped me to get myself together. For you as a player, uh, you had a really good career, not only in the minors for the Giants, but also when you were when you broke in with them. One thing that could be said about Orlando Cepeda, he could hit anywhere. But being in a batting order that you were in with the Cardinals, how much fun was that? In 67, I hit right behind uh, Roger Merritt and McCarver behind me. So they make it easy for me because uh team was a great clutch hitter. And every time they walked me, he came through. Now they stopped walking me because uh, my, my, Tim McCarver, I mean, he was a clutch baseball player. And then Mike Shannon, he came through so many times, you know. And Roger, you know, Roger Mary was a great baseball player. It sounds like uh, you had great relationships with your, your teammates. Uh, what was it like to know when you got to the ballpark and you looked at the lineup that Bob Gibson was going to pitch that day? Well, was about pitching, we don't do too much <laughs> because Bob, from the first inning to the ninth, he don't give an inch. He just go after every hitter, and uh, he was all business. Bob gave some great teammate, great ball player. Uh, he can do it all. 
I've had the pleasure over the years to spend a lot of time with Bob and Mike Shannon, and they always talked about how much fun they had. But they always talk the story, tell us tell the story about the night against Cincinnati, when Gibson and Perez would have a little something going. And there was a gentleman that came out of the Cincinnati bullpen that was looking for Orlando Cepeda. And if I'm not mistaken, he said, where's Charlie? I want him. And you, Yeah, I know. Bubba Lee. He's a weak cha-cha. So he found me. You know, Bubba Lee was 6'7", six, six, 250 pounds. So he came looking for me. You know, so I don't want to put them. I don't want to fight. I just want to stop this fight because I don't want nobody to get hurt. So he found me. And, and he was the one person that did get hurt that particular night. Right. <laughs> For you and, and, and playing with those guys, uh, as I said, you guys had a lot of fun. What, what are some of the best moments you remember about the 67 team uh, before, during, and after the ball game? Well, you know, every day. I never had so much fun in my career like I did in the St. Louis. I mean, we we got Kerr Flood. Kerr was a, a guy he keep everybody loose. I'm uh, McCarver. So before the game, we have so much fun. We rip, you know, they rip me, they rip Mike Shannon, they rip, you know, Bob, Bob Gibson rip everybody. <laughs> But when the game started, about 15 minutes before the game, was all business. We all changed. We said, okay, we got to take all business. Tell you one thing, uh, I, I had never seen a team. You know, I played for the Giants. I played for Atlanta and Boston. But nothing like the Cardinals. I mean, that's, uh, that was, uh, they make it so easy for you because, even though when you go all for four, you strike out three or four times, you don't care. I mean, they, I mean, amazing. And the thing about it right now, we're still great friends, you know, with Julian, with Bob, with McCarver, with Mike Shannon. Every time we get together, we start talking about 66, 67, and 68. There's nothing like it. I'm so proud. I'm so lucky to be able to spend some time with all those not only great ball players, but great human beings. We're visiting with the Hall of Famer Orlando Cepeda, who will be in town for the baseball writers' dinner this Sunday night. Or Orlando, you you've had a great career. Um, you played with some of the greatest players this game has had to offer. Whether it was with Willie Mays and McCovey in San Francisco, you mentioned Brock and Flood and Gibson and Shannon in St. Louis. Then you go on to Atlanta, where there's Henry Aaron and, and Ralph Gar and Rico Cardi. I mean, some very good players throughout your career. What 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 was so special where Orlando Cepeda always found himself around very good players? I know in those days everything has a great player, you know. Chicago have Ernie Banks, Ferguson Jenkins, they have uh, uh Ron Sano, they have Ron Honley. Everything got some great team, great players. So I went to the, the Rave, you know, and the Gahank. They got Rico, they got, uh, I mean, Sonny Jackson, they got Cliff Boyer, and, you know, that was a tough league. National League was very tough. 
every team where you play, they have a chance. You know, they have soldiers. They have a great team. Baseball, they have a great team. So many great players everywhere. I know for you, uh, as I mentioned, you've hit everywhere, and I mean your minor league numbers are staggering. When you see how many how many times you were hitting well over three hundred, and you get to the Giants, you do an outstanding job there. What was there ever a pitcher that did give you problems? Yes, quite a few, <laughs> quite a few. I faced Bob, you know, when I when I, I faced him in Triple uh, A Omaha. Um, Bob used to throw over one hundred ninety nine hundred wild. I mean, you can dig in against Bob. He lets you know he was the boss. So, uh, so many, so many great players, so many great pitchers. Yeah, I, I know. Uh, I've heard you tell the story about how Tim McCarver kind of took you around town and. What did he take you to see Brazil? Sergio Mendez in Brazil, 66? And- yes, yes, 1966. <laughs> um, and then he, he loved Jose Feliciano. He turned me on Jose Feliciano. Even Jose was Puerto Rican like me. I never liked him until Tim told me, no, you have to like him. He's great. <laughs> then, then Jose, he's on the national anthem in Detroit. From that moment on, I love Jose Feliciano. Tell me about Mike Shannon. How much fun did you have with him? Great, great teammate. And the thing that amazed me about Michael is because he was a great right fielder. Then when Roger came to uh, the Cardinals in 67, he told Red, I'm going to play third base. And he worked so hard. Every day he used to come early. Spring training, he would come early every morning and to go to Rumble, and he'd make himself a pretty good third baseman. But Mike was a, a gamer. You know, he came to play every day. And every time they walked me to get to him, he went out of the ballpark. And he was a great teammate, still a great friend. I'm very lucky to be able to play with Mike Shannon. For you, uh, you've had some interesting managers in your career. I know uh, Alvin Dark was a different kind of a guy, but you got a chance to play for Red Shandine stuff. What kind of manager was he? I, I know a lot of players just said Red knew the game and he let his players play. Yes, 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 yes. So easy to play for him. He don't say too much, but he was tough. When he had to tell you something, he tell you, he let you know. But well, he lives, he lets you play ball. You sit there and then you make a mistake, so don't worry about it. you know, you strike out with three men on base, don't get an next time. He's a great man, Red Shandy. Yep. And, and you know, there I'm sure you've seen the photograph, the cover of Sports Illustrated, where they had all you guys lined up sitting next to your yep. lockers. Uh I've been with Mike and I've been with Bob when they both looked up at that picture and they would just take a deep breath and just say, Those guys knew how to play. Would you agree with that? Yes, 100%. We know how to play. We don't need anybody. I mean, we know. We have a Julio Javier. One of the best second basemen I've ever seen. He's not the best. Very underrated. And Javier, every single day, he made some plays in second base. Unbelievable. 
You know, when I um, think about him, he, he could go with his back to the infield as well as any second baseman I've ever seen. Yes, yes. I remember when Kurt got hurt in 67, took control, Red told him, and he will go to the center field. You go there and you get the ball because who would have a great arm. Every time they hit a fly ball to center field when Madam Bay, Julian go to center field, get the ball from Kurt, and fire to the infield. Every single play. Too bad in those days they don't have that TV like they do right now. But, you know, he's one of the best I've ever seen. He's not the best. Well, Orlando, um, as I mentioned earlier, a rookie of the year, an MVP, a World Series champion, and a Hall of Famer. Uh, that, that's a pretty good career for a person uh, who just wanted to come swing the bat. You had a chance to play with great players. What will you remember most about your experience with the Cardinals, though? Everything. Uh, from day one, you know, I remember everything. Like I told you, you know, uh, they make me feel wanted from the beginning. You know, red, you're going to hit cleanup here. Just go there and play do the best you can. And everything. I mean, those memories from those days with the Cardinals still on my mind. Well, we'll look forward to seeing you in St. Louis this weekend. Uh, a great celebration to honor the 50th anniversary of one of the greatest Cardinal teams ever, the 1967 world champion St. Louis Cardinals featuring Orlando Cepeda. My pleasure. Thank you, Mike. When we come back, Martin Coco tells us about the Cardinal caravans that are taking off all over Cardinal Nation this weekend. That's next on the Cardinals Hot Stove League Show presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Welcome back to the Cardinals Hot Stove League Show presented by Ameren. Chris Raby and Mike Claiborne with you. And a pleasure to say hello our buddy Martin Coco from the Cardinals as we get set for a big weekend of not just winter warm-up, but also the Cardinal caravans headed out all over the Midwest and Cardinal Nation. Martin, how are you, man? I'm doing great, and we're ready to fire the buses up and head to all points in Cardinals Nation. Well, you know, it's a fun time, Martin, where we can actually get out and, and visit with fans that have supported the team for so many years. And um, you've been doing it for a long time, as have I, and I'm never surprised by the, the crowds that we have and the loyalty that they show no matter what the weather might be like or or anything else they always find a way to come out and it's good to be able to shake hands with a lot of those folks yeah it's really fun uh as you mentioned mike to be a part uh for so many years and see whether you're an hour and a half from st louis or whether you're four or five hours away the the great turnout and and the support and it's really neat because even when fans come and support the team here at bush stadium it's on so much bigger of a scale so what's really great about the caravan from a fan standpoint is being able to be up close and personal and shaking a hand and getting an autograph and a photo maybe with some of the guys that they get to watch all season long uh and some of their favorite players but uh being able to get to to see them in a little more of a close, uh, intimate setting and, and uh, get to meet them in person. It's it's really fun, especially for the kids that are there. Yeah, how about the reach of, of the thing, Martin? Because every year, bigger and better and more and more fans that get the opportunity to be part of one of these caravans. 
Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at uh, it, it kind of fits perfectly with the radio, um, the radio network. You know, the the radio network covers such a huge amount of territory, and that's what we try to do with the caravan is just take it out as far and wide as 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 we can, uh, at least as far as a bus will take us. Um, but uh, we cover so many points, uh, north, south, east, and west, and we're doing the same this year. We got 21 cities that we will hit over a four-day period. Uh, and I think, Klaibs, you you've been on these for a long time too. I think this is one of the strongest player uh, groups that we've had as a whole as well. Uh, uh, we don't often get to take out uh, all stars, but we've got a lead Miss Diaz on a trip, and a lot of the uh, the best young players that the Cardinals will be uh, putting on the field this year. Uh, in addition to him, Piscotti, Randall Gritchuk, Colton Wong, and uh, the list goes on. Yeah, Alex Reyes is going to be part of that, and I think that uh, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, I think, for these fans to see guys. And, and you've been at it, Martin, and as is Chris. We see a young guy that was really good in AA or AAA, and the next thing you know, he's with the big league team. Uh, and you have that great relationship with them that you develop being on the caravan, and they get a chance, those fans get a chance to see him at an early stage of his career, and it's something they won't soon forget. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been doing these long enough. I've been on a caravan that uh, Yadier Molina was on, Albert Pujols. So it, it really is uh, the top stars that are uh, uh, top young stars of the team and then some of the up-and-coming guys, too. As you mentioned, maybe our top five or six prospects uh, who fans can expect to see, uh, if not in 20. 17 at Bush Stadium, certainly uh, in the near future. Well, come on out. The 2017 Cardinals Caravan presented by Missouri Farm Bureau Insurance is headed all over Cardinal Nation this weekend. You can go to cardinals.com slash caravan for more information for the full schedule and details on the autograph ticket system. Martin Coco, congratulations on another uh, great caravan season as we get set to head out this weekend. Look forward to seeing you on the ballpark. Sounds great. Thanks, guys. Well, from Cardinal Caravans to sunny Florida, make your plans to head south this winter for sunny skies, warm beaches, and Cardinals baseball. Packages available to fit everyone's schedule and budget. Make your reservations at cardinals.com slash vacations or call 1-800-892-7687. We're back to wrap up this edition of the Cardinals Hot Stove League Show presented by Ameren after this in the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Wrapping up a packed Cardinals Hot Stove League Show presented by Ameren. Chris Raby along with Mike Claiborne back with you for one more time in the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. One more calendar giveaway. The 2017 calendar celebrates the franchise's 125th anniversary and is on sale now throughout the St. Louis metro area, including Bush Stadium, Cardinals Clubhouse Mall Stores, QT, and area grocery stores, or by calling 345 314-345-9000. We'll give one away right now. Call number 3 at 969 1120. Thank you to all of our guests today. Rick Horton, Richard Justice, Carson Kelly, Larry Jaster, Orlando Cepeda, also Martin Coco. Ben Boyd's our great executive producer. Mike Claiborne's my co-host. Chris Raby saying, have a great rest of your evening. We'll see you hopefully at the winter warm-up or at a Cardinals caravan this weekend. Until next week, this has been the Cardinals Hot Stove League Show presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network.